Man, thank you guys for being here tonight. You guys doing okay? Yeah. Awesome. Like Brian said, I have a 25-minute sermon for you guys, and then I'm out of your hair. You guys are going to love me because Joe is used to preaching like 45 minutes, and we don't get out until like 6.30, 6.45 sometimes when we have barbecues <laughs> and everything like that. But I'll be out of your hair. We are going to continue our series in Proverbs. First off, let me introduce myself to you guys. If you guys don't know me, my name is Dylan Labak, and I'm the minister in training here at Epiphany Gloucester City. Basically, what I do on a daily basis is everything that Joe doesn't do. I am the Swiss Army knife. I'm the screwdriver, the Phillips head, the flathead, the utility knife, all of the above. I do everything from uh, teenage youth group to middle school youth group to elementary school kids uh, to worship. Um, to a little bit of preaching, and I'm also a full-time seminary student. So um, I'm excited to be here with you guys and take everything that I've been learning in school and in books and hanging out with everybody from town, and I'm excited to be up here preaching the word of God to you guys. Amen. Just an update. We just ended our seven-week summer camp. Praise God. Give God a hand praise for that. We provided a seven-day Five day, sorry. Five day a week. Let's not make it seven. Five day a week camp for 50 kids in Gloucester City. And we fed them lunch. We fed them snack. We had a bunch of volunteers come through. We went on trips every single Friday. And it was a huge win for the gospel. It was a huge win for families in a way that we can reach out to people and say that we care about not just, uh, not just mom and dad, but we care about your kids too. And we want to take care of them and we want to have a place for everybody to stay in the community. Amen. So um, I just want to thank Courtney and Ariana, even though they're not here. They're our interns this summer. Uh, they were great. They came and they raised money. They gave a whole entire summer, asked for donations from other people, raised money to come and serve here and to build up a kids program. And I can honestly say that there has been nothing else like it in the city of Gloucester because of the work that those guys put in. Thanks to all the teenagers that came and hang out with us, hung out with us all summer long. Instead of playing Fortnite, instead of playing video games and hanging out on the street with their friends until 1 a.m., they came every single morning and they prayed at 9.30 through the Psalms every single morning. And it was amazing. It was great, right? And all for the goal of not being about themselves, but the goal was the teenagers being about somebody bigger, right? Somebody better, God Almighty, right? And so um, just, just thank you to all the parents, Brian, who drove almost every single one of our swim days, Lisa, who was, who was driving, and Miss Val, who did our lunch program for Miss Tammy, who, who came every single day and helped run the rec program and everything. Thank you guys so much. So praise God for um, the, great, um, the great work that he did through summer camp. Amen. So we've been in this series. It's called Making Life Work. We've been in this series the whole entire summer. And basically what our Making Life Work series is on is about making life work. It's a series on the book of Proverbs. All right. Proverbs just talks about all the practical ways that we are to live our lives. And so that's exactly what we did. We sat down, we said, okay, what did we miss in? We went through a bunch of stuff. We went through the book of Exodus. We went through a bunch of stuff and we landed in the book of Proverbs, right? Because God is not just concerned with the come to church and worship him on Sundays for an hour and do prayers of the people. That's great, 
but God is also concerned with all of the little practical decisions that we make throughout the entire day. And so that's what we wanted to focus on. We wanted to open up the book of Proverbs. We wanted to look at the situational wisdom that the book has to offer us. And we wanted to apply that to our lives because God is concerned with the whole person, not just the person who shows up here on Sunday. Amen. So like I said, the book of Proverbs, just to give you a little background, I know we've been talking background this whole entire time we've been in the book of Proverbs, but it's situational wisdom. And basically, if you don't know what a Proverbs is, a proverb is, it's, let me give you some modern examples. Uh, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the street, right? Uh, early to bed, early to rise, makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? And we could go on and on, and we can go on and give modern proverbs and modern situational wisdom, which will apply to our lives in little tiny ways. But what's important about the book of Proverbs, and what I want you to know about it before we jump in into our next verse is that it is not just good sayings that we should cling to. The Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is a holy collection. Holy, capital H, inspired by the holy living God that has been collected over a period of time by the wisest of wise and the king of kings and the almighty who sits up in heaven. And he took them and he placed them in a book for us to live by, for us to form all of our personal habits by. And, 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 that's what, and that's what the book of Proverbs is. It's unlike any modern Proverbs because they are intended to guide our personal habits as only the holy God can. Amen? And so uh, what, what I want to do is I want to drive into our scripture today. Do we have it on the screen or no? I'm not sure. If not, it's, it's in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 30. And if we don't have it, I'll read it for you. It's two halves of a sentence and like 12 words long. And so if you, if you are following along in a Bible, it's Proverbs 11, verse 30. And it says this. It says this in the CSB. It says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and a wise person captivates people. Let me read that again. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and a wise person captivates people. I think that the New King James Version in this situation is especially helpful, and I'm going to read it for us today. And it says this in the New King James Version. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Let me read that one more time. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. And here is basically what this proverb is saying. If you miss everything else that I am saying here this evening, this is what the proverb is about, and this is exactly what it means. It means Christ in us means life for others. Everybody say Christ in us means life for others. Christ in us means life for others. So there's two parts of the sentence here. All right. There's six words, and there's a comma, and then there's six more words. And what's important about the sentence is... When it talks about the fruit of the righteous as a tree of life, first, it talks about us. Second, it talks about others. 
So here's what we need to understand. We need to talk a little bit about us before we get to the others part. We need to talk a little bit about our souls and our disposition and our attitudes and the way we walk and the way we talk before we get to the parts where we talk about how others walk and how others talk. Jesus said it like this, neighbor, I want you to look at the huge log of wood that's in your eye before you look to the speck of little dirt that is in your neighbor's eye. And all Jesus is trying to say is that we need to be worried on our end first of how our hearts look before we go out and before we judge our neighbors. And so that's what we're going to do in this proverb is we're going to look at the first part and then the second part. And the first thing that I want us to understand in my first point is this, is that our lives... Just as it says in the first part of the sentence, our lives grow from the inside out. Just as a tree grows out of the ground, just as you take an acorn or, or whichever mustard seed for a mustard tree you plant it in the ground, just as that seed grows up out of the ground, our lives grow from the inside out. The way... We treat people comes from how we've been treated. The way we treat people sometimes comes from how we've been treated. You know, I got my taxes done on April 15th, not a day earlier, not a day later. And what I did was I took my tax papers, my, my pay stubs, my W-2s, my 1098 forms, whatever I had, and I went and I took them to the tax man on April 15th, and I said, here you go, and what he did was he looked at all the numbers, and he pulled out something in his drawer that's a little bit foreign to some of the teenagers that I've been working with, and it was a calculator, and he pulled out a calculator, and he slammed it right down, and what he did was he took the numbers off of the paper, and he dialed them into the calculator, and he dialed them in, and he put a bunch in, and then he hit the equal sign. Right? He hit the equal sign, and then it gave him a number. It gave him a number that I didn't like and that he didn't like, but that the government liked. Right? And what I want you to understand is that just like the calculator, our lives are just like that. You get out what you put in. Sometimes what we put in to our souls is either good or bad, and it's either going to come out or good or bad. Sometimes what other people put into our souls is going to come out as good or bad. And what's important about this, just like the calculator, those numbers on the calculator are not inseparable from the calculator. And in the same way, our actions that we do, our daily practices, our personal habits are inseparable from us. Our personal behaviors, our personal habits... They're inseparable for us. They're not like when we go home and we go to bed, we get a shower, and we wake up in the morning and we put a shirt on and we go throughout our whole entire day and that shirt gets dirty and we come home and we take that shirt off and we throw it in the dirty clothes and then at the end of the day we're separated from that shirt. You know, our actions and our behaviors are not like the flip-flops that we wear to the beach and we take them down and we wear them down to the shore and then at the end of the day we come back and we kick them to the side and we don't wear them until we go to the beach again. No, that's not true. Our actions and our behaviors and our personal habits, what people have put into our souls and what we put into our souls is inseparable from us. So here's what that means. This is really important. Here's what that means. Is that if we have a lot of anger, if people have been angry towards us, and we're holding on to that, then that means outbursts. If we've been living in fear, if we've let fear affect us in a negative way, 
and we've held on to that in our hearts, it means we're going to isolate ourselves. You know, if, we, if we've been harboring depression, if we've been harboring anxiety, if we've been dealing with secret things that we don't like anybody else to know about, if we've been in the closet about those things, it's going to have a lack of self-worth on the outside. But here's the good news. It says this in 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 5, verse 17. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. And my question to us, church, tonight is this. What are our actions feeding off of? Are they feeding off of past hurt or past pain? Here's what we need to do. It is our disposition, and it needs to be our attitude of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that is telling us if we believe in the Lord Jesus, if we believe in what he has to offer, if we believe that he has really died for our sins and paid the penalty for what we were supposed to have, then that should create a change in us. It should create a new life to where we're able to wake up every single morning and say, God, I'm struggling with this, but let me cast it at the foot of your cross. And it's by that way Jesus Christ heals us by trusting in his cross that he has made us a new creation. We need to pray to God and ask him to change our hearts so that our actions look like his actions. We need to pray to God. To ask him to change our hearts so that our actions don't look like the disposition of our hearts sometimes. I'll be honest with you. This is a really hard thing. It's a really hard thing to practice. I know my biggest struggle, some, is, some of it is, is road rage. You know, somebody cuts me off on the highway. I try my best. I try my best to stay in my lane, to do everything that I need to do, but sometimes it goes the other way. And we need to pray to God to change our hearts so that our actions look like his. Second point is this. Others will know us by our actions. Others will know us by our actions. And it says this in John chapter 13, verse 35. It says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let me read it one more time. John chapter 13. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Others will know us by our actions. And Jesus in this sentence is saying that our lives will be known how we act in public, whether we love or whether we hate. Whether we do good to other people or whether we are not so good to other people, people will know us by our actions and how we behave. People can't read our minds. People don't have x-ray vision. How we behave in public, Jesus is saying, we will either be known by our love or we will be known by our hate. And my wife has been a teacher in the school district of Philadelphia for the past five, six years, and she can always tell which parents do their homework with their kids. First graders, they come in, and the ones, the parents that do the homework with the kids, they have their homework done. And the parents that don't do their homework with the kids, they don't have it done. And she can tell a little bit about the parents, right? 
It's the same with the parents who, who are, are smoking a blunt on the way to school. She can tell which ones are in the car dropping them off, smoking weed before they get out of the car because the kids smell like it. Right? She can tell which kids receive a specific form of behavior because of marks that they received from the night before. And the same works in our lives. Right? Our neighbors know we're raggedy and our neighbors know that we're going through stuff when we fail to take out the trash for the past three weeks. When we fail to cut the grass since we moved in. When we fail to pay our electric bill and so the PSE&G guy is coming through and they're constantly checking our meters to see whether or not we've paid our bill. Our neighbors know we're going through some stuff when our actions on the outside don't look exactly right. They don't match up. They don't match up to who we say we are versus who we want to be. All I'm trying to say is this. If it looks like a bear, if it smells like a bear, if it eats what a bear eats, if it lives where a bear lives, it's a bear. It's a bear. And the problem is this. Here's what I want us to know by this point, is you can't be a tree of life to others when people visibly see your mess. Because if you don't love what's in front of you, you're not going to love other people. If you don't love what's in front of you, you're not going to love your neighbor. Charles Spurgeon says it like this. One of the biggest lies we tell, one of the biggest lies we tell others is, I am Christian, when we are not being Christian ourselves. One of the biggest lies we tell ourselves is, I am a Christian, when we're not being a Christian in our daily practical lives ourselves. We need to be the Christians whose lives aren't just complete chaos so that we can invite others in. We need to be the Christians that, that have a little bit of stability so that we can invite others in and that we can love them how Jesus loved us. Because Jesus is the ultimate example of stability, right? Jesus is the ultimate person who took on all of our sin and all of our punishment and all of our shame when he could have just sat up there in heaven on his throne and wore the royal robes. But no, instead he came down and he lived the perfect life that we could never live so that by his instability, we could be stable. My third point is this, and this is the second half of the sentence. So far we covered, so far we covered the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And now the second part is this, he who wins souls is wise. He who wins souls is wise. Here's what I want you to understand. Is that our lives were meant to bless others. Our lives were not just meant to sit to ourselves and to think about how we can stop sinning less. There is always God's grace. But we need to make a conscious effort to go out and to love people like Jesus loves us. And here's what I think is really important about this part of the verse. Our lives were meant to bless others, and, and it says, he who wins souls is wise. The fact that there are souls out there that need to be won just tells us that there is others that need help. Now listen, I haven't been on this earth as long as some other people have. 
but I've walked around long enough to know on the day-to-day, when you walk down the street, when you go to the corner store, when you go to Cars Hardware, when you go to the Audubon Walmart, when you go to the Cherry Hill Walmart, when you, when you go, when you go to Wawa, when you go to Heritage, there is people that need help. And if you're like me, I know some people that are really close to me that need help. Not just people on the outside. I know some people that are relatives that need help. And I pray for that. Because the Bible is saying here that he who wins souls is wise. So that's telling me that there is people that need to be one with love, that need to be one with the love of Jesus Christ. It's like this. The word win here literally means to steal away from, to capture. It's like this. Two years ago, I took kids on a beach trip for the summer camp, and there was this girl. Her name is Jasmine, and I'm comfortable sharing this because uh, I know her really well. But... What happened was Jasmine had $20, and $20 is a lot of money for a 10-year-old. And Jasmine had $20, and if you know anything about kids' money, when kids have birthday money, when they have Christmas money, when they have any kind of money, it just burns a hole in their pocket, and they're like, I want to go to the toy store, I want to go do this. And uh, that's what was happening to her. She was at the beach, she saw all the stores, she saw all the, all the ice cream, all the corn dogs, all the toys, all the everything, all the arcades, the Ferris wheel, the roller coaster, and it was burning a hole in her pocket. So at the end, I said, okay, Jasmine, we're going to go to the boardwalk, and we're going to spend some of your money. And so that's what we did, is we went up to the boardwalk, and oh, I, for, I forget where we went the first year. It was either Wildwood or Atlantic City. It was Atlantic City. And we went up, we went on the boardwalk, and I'm like, okay, she's going to buy some ice cream or a corn dog or a toy from the dollar store or something. There's no way that she's going to spend $20, right? So we're walking past, and we passed the ice cream store. I'm like, hey, Jasmine, you want to get some ice cream? Nah. Hey, Jasmine, you want to go to the dollar store and buy some toys? Nah. Hey, Jasmine, do you want a corn dog? Hey, you want to ride the roller coaster? Nope. She wanted to go to the arcade. She went to the arcade, and we went in. And she bolted right for the coin machine. She went right up to the coin machine. She took out her $20 bill, and she deposited in. And pretty soon, the $20 bill was gone, and it was all coins. And she got a little bag, and she put them all in the bag, and she was ready to go. I'm like, all right, she's going to play arcade games, right? Nope. She goes over to the one machine that I have forbidden myself to not play, and that is the claw grabber. Not only was it a claw grabber, but it was one of those claw grabbers that is like, four foot wide by seven feet high with like the huge claw and the big prizes. And so here's what Jasmine did, and this is really important. Jasmine took her coins and one by one, she put them in. One dollar down, she took the claw, she pressed it, and the claw went like this and it went down and it tried to grab a prize and like all prize grabbers do, it just let go at the last second. And she did it over And over again, I'm like, Jasmine, hey, how about we quit? How about we go do something else? No, I'm going to win this. No, I'm going to win this. And she kept going. She she kept going. I tried to convince her. I said, Jasmine, why don't we why don't we go the other way? This isn't working. This isn't working. It's it's not going to work. You're not going to win this prize. But she kept going. She kept going. She put kept putting the coins in. And as she was getting to her last coins, I could see the smile on her face, like she was about to win something. And she took the claw, and the claw came over, and it went down, and it grabbed the prize. 
and it picked it up, and finally she won the prize as the claw dropped the thing down, and it came out the door, and she grabbed it, and it was bigger than her whole entire body, and she loved it, and it was great. And here's what I want us to understand is that we need to bless others by using everything we got to rescue them out of the box of sin that they are in. And for some, it's going to take $20. For some, it's going to take words of encouragement. For some, it's going to take breaking down their door. For some, it's going to be telling them, hey, we need to get you into a program. And for some, it's going to take a lot and a lot of prayer. But the point is, and what this verse is telling us, is that he who wins souls is wise, is that there are souls that need saving. There are people that are hurting right here, right now, in these pews, outside these doors, and everywhere else in the world. And we need to take all of our coins and throw all of our chips on the table when it comes to loving others and not worry about our own feelings sometimes. Christ in us means life for others. Christ in us means life for others. I'll end with this. I drove buses for four years uh, with an organization called Urban Promise, and it was great. I loved it. And I ran my own Christian after-school program and summer camp, and it was great. It was awesome. Um, I had a lot of great times there. I learned a lot. While I was there, I drove a bus for four years for all of my kids to pick them up and to drop them off. But as a bus driver, you would have to do some things. You would have to prepare, and then you would have to drive, and then you would have to go home. You would have to prepare, you would have to drive, and then you would have to go home. So what I would do is I would prepare at the beginning of the day. I would go to the bathroom, take my bathroom break. I would print out my route. I would look at all the stops that I had. I'd say, okay, I'm going to stop here, and then a few blocks later, I'm going to stop here. A few blocks later, I'm going to stop here. And uh, I, I checked my timing of the route to make sure that everything was on time, to make sure I didn't get home super late because my wife would be mad at me. And what I did was I prepared, got everything I needed, and I made sure I was going to be home at a specific time. And I got on the bus, and I started driving, and there was nobody on the bus. And I started driving, and I went to my first stop, and I opened the door. I said, hey, we're going to home. We're going to a really great place. You want to get on the bus? And some people got on the bus, and others stayed on the curb. So I said, all right, we're going to go. We shut the door. We went to the next stop. And we opened up the door, and we said, hey, we're going to go to this really great spot. Do you want to come with us? We opened up the door. Some, some people got on with us. We closed the door. Others stayed on the curb. We went to the next stop, and we did the same exact thing. And we went to the next stop, and the next stop, and the next stop, and the next stop, all the way until when we got to our home all the way up until we got to our destination and it was really hard because sometimes when we stopped some people got off and some people got on and sometimes it was hard because some people wouldn't be getting on at all when when they knew that we were going to the place of all places when they knew that we were going to a heavenly destination and so here's what I want to understand want us to understand is that we need to prepare ourselves and then drive the bus to steal people away from their sin. Prepare ourselves, prepare our hearts, because the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, not only for our own souls, 
the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, but for the sake of Jesus Christ and for the sake of everybody else. And then we need to drive that bus day in and day out. And we need to open the door. And some people are going to enter our lives and some people are going to exit our lives. And it's going to go on over and over and over again. And people are going to get on and they're going to hurt you. And then people are going to get off and then other people are going to get on and they're going to encourage you and they're going to ride with you and they're going to stay with you the whole entire time all the way up until when you get to your destination. And let me tell you this here right now that we at Epiphany Church, we want to be here with you guys all the way until your heavenly destination. And we want to walk through life with you guys. And we want to walk through life with everybody else here in town. And we want to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world to every single person that came to the block party, to every single family that came to our summer program, to every single family that lives in town. Lenny, let me end by saying this. Matthew chapter... 20 verses 18 and 19 are are this if you could put them back up on the screen i'm sorry Um, jesus came near and said to them all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth and it says this go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit here's something that is really important for us to understand This is the Great Commission. This is Jesus giving a command, a holy, heavenly command, is that our personal holiness, listen to this, our personal holiness is not our greatest calling. Our personal holiness is not our greatest calling. Here's what I mean by that. Is that it's, it's great to wake up in the morning and to do your devotions and read your Bible for a half an hour. It's great to come to church every single Sunday and to get built up and to be encouraged and to work on your soul. But on the same end, there's a command here. And the command is here that we need to not just be worried about ourselves. We need to not be sitting there and stuck in fear. We need to not be sitting there and stuck in anger and in isolation. But Jesus is telling us to go out, to go outside the doors, to go and preach my name. Because there's people who need to be stolen out of the box of sin. And there's people that need to get on the bus. And there's people that need to ride, need a ride to heaven. And so we who are here in these pews today, I am calling every single one of us to confess to Jesus that we are messed up and that we need help and for him to change the attitudes of our hearts so that we can go out and make disciples in his name. And when we do that, we are doing exactly what Jesus came to earth to do. Amen? Let me say this in conclusion. If you guys are struggling, be encouraged that Jesus has already paid for your sins and given you a new life. And the fact that you're sitting here in these pews is, is a step towards the Lord. And, and, and be encouraged that we are here. And we want to pray for you. And we want to pray with you. So that in every single area of your life, whether it be how, how you treat other people, whether, whether you gossip, whether you've you, you done little things throughout the day, whether, whether however, however insignificant thing, God cares about it. And he wants every part of our lives. He wants us to be new creations. 
He wants us to be completely brand new, people that are not just focused about our own hearts, but focused on the hearts of others. Let me pray for us. Dear God, thank you for everything you give us. Lord, you have given us a space in heaven because you rejected yourself on that cross and you died for us. Lord, and so I pray that every single one of us would take to heart this proverb that the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he who wins souls is wise. Father, I pray that we would have Christ in us so that it would mean life for others. Father, I pray that we would have Christ in us when we go to the corner store. I pray that we would have Christ in us when we go to ShopRite. I pray that we would have Christ in us when we were walking around town. I pray that we would have Christ in us when we go to the family parties. I pray that we would have Christ in us at every stage of our lives and at every decision. I pray that we would yield to you no matter if it's should I act on this road rage or should I act on this anger that's been building for years and years? God, I pray that we would yield every single one of our decisions to you so that we can invite other people into our lives. God, because people don't want to be invited into more mess, God. And so I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to submit our mess to you so we can allow others to know about you. Lord, we love you so much. In your name we pray. Amen.